0: Amen. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's very appropriate this morning as we continue through our series called Journey Through the Bible. And we talk about the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. And what we learn from the book of Daniel is that there is one king overall. Daniel, one king overall. But before we begin this morning. Let's bow our heads one more time and lift our hearts to the Lord and ask for a blessing. Father, I just thank you again for this opportunity to worship you, Lord. I pray now that as your word is preached, that you would grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, trust, and obey all that you have spoken. Help us learn. God, from our servant Daniel. And above all, Lord, lift our eyes upward to you, to the King who rules over all, to the kingdom to whom we belong, and our hope that we have forever in you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask of these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. So again, we're continuing our series through the, uh, called Journey Through the Bible where we're just trying to um, go through the entire Bible, take the major events from the biblical storyline in order to just get a feel of, uh, of, of what the Bible is, of the, the, the overarching story of redemption, the history of redemption that helps us to find our place in the world. And so as we've said many times, man sinned against God and he rebelled against him. But God initiated a plan to bring humanity back to him through the forgiveness of sins by a promised one. And he began the fulfillment of the promise to the man named Abraham. And he, he promised him that he would have offspring as many as the sand of the sea and of the stars of the heavens. And that he would give him a land and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he took his family and uh, brought them into Egypt where they multiplied, and then by the hand of Moses, he granted them freedom from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. And God took them to the Mount of Sinai, where God made with them the covenant. The the old covenant with what it meant for them to live as the redeemed, saved people of God. And he brought them into the promised land by the hand of Joshua. And then they had the period of judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then eventually came the period of the kings, where uh, the kings ruled over them, and specifically David was the, the epitome of the kings, and God made a promise to David, I'll set one of your offspring on your throne to rule over my people forever. But then the kingdom of God split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel in the north, the southern kingdom of Judah in the south. And eventually, both of them yielded to idolatry. That is, they broke God's covenant that God made with them at Sinai. And because they broke God's covenant, God kicked them out of the land. And that brings us now to the time of Daniel. Because Daniel was one of the exiles of the land when King Nebuchadnezzar came in 586 BC and destroyed Jerusalem. And destroyed Tim- Actually, Daniel was exiled a little bit before that. And so Daniel here is an exile in a foreign land. And that brings us here to Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we read from Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. The word of God. Maybe seated. What do want to do this morning is give a very quick overview of the Book of Daniel. Daniel's an incredibly fascinating book, but what I want to do is just highlight three major themes from the book of Daniel and see how it fits into the biblical storyline. So the three major themes are this: God delivers the faithful. Number one, number two, God humbles the proud, and number three, God rules over history. God delivers the faithful. God humbles the proud. God rules over history. So first, let's look at the theme of Daniel, that God delivers the faithful. There are three stories in the book of Daniel that are powerful pictures of what it means to be faithful to God, especially being faithful to God in a foreign land. We've talked about that before. I preached a whole sermon on how we are exiles in a foreign land. And so Daniel... And his friends have been exiled and they they are among these youth who have been chosen to be trained in the wisdom of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans. To stand in the royal court and to be advisors to the king. And um, the first story that we want to look at is their refusal to defile themselves with the king's food. It's right there in the remainder of chapter 1. So you remember the story, they were carried off as youth, and it said they were fed from the king's table. But in verse 8 there in Daniel 1, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. It it, it may be that Daniel and his friends were concerned with Jewish dietary law, and thus they didn't want to defile himself for, for some other reason. But regardless, what is clear is this is that by refusing to eat the king's food, what they were doing is they were setting themselves apart. They, they wanted to trust and obey God in the time of their exile. And they were giving, what were they doing? They were giving God an opportunity to show himself strong. By not eating the food that the other uh, young men were eating, they were giving God an opportunity to show what he could do through those who trust in him. They refuse to defile themselves with the Babylonian food, with Babylonian world. And the example of these Jewish men, these Jewish young men, point us to another Jewish young man who lived the perfect, undefiled life. In fact, he lived perfectly sinless, perfectly undefiled, so that we might be forgiven of every time we have defiled ourselves with the world. And because those of us who have trusted in this man, Jesus Christ, who have been forgiven of our sins and defilements, past, present, and future, we too, by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in all who believe in him, we too have the power, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to, to not defile ourselves at the world's table. We don't have to defile ourselves at the world's table. We can live for God, empowered by him. Fleeing the sin of this world to set ourselves apart and show the world the power that God can exert in the lives of those who trust in him. God delivered them for their faithfulness because when the eunuch came back and inspected them, he saw that they, were, they looked better than all the other youths and they were exalted in the kingdom. The second story of God's faithfulness to deliver those faithful to him is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's refusal to bow down to false gods. you remember this story? Nebuchadnezzar erected a 90-foot golden statue, and he gathered all his magistrates and all his officials from his entire kingdom, the greatest kingdom in the world at this time. And he commanded them that when they played the music... All people of all nations were to bow down and worship this golden statue? But of course this posed quite a problem. Because what if, what if some of these officials of Nebuchadnezzar, what if they were indeed loyal to him? What if they would indeed serve him any way they could? What if they were indeed loyal to him, but they were not ultimately loyal to him? That is, what if some of his officials did honor his kingship, however, they also honored and feared even more a king far greater than Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings and the lord of lords, Enter shadrach Meshach, and Abednego. They honored Nebuchadnezzar's kingship, but they honored God's kingship even more. And so regardless of what any other worldly king would command them to do, they would not worship a false god. And they refused to do so on pain of being thrown into the fiery furnace. And this is what they said to the king when, they, when King Nebuchadnezzar confronted them. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then uh, excuse me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... These three friends would rather die than worship a false God. Would you? You see, the world presses in on us. Don't you feel it? Books, televisions, movies, entertainment, social media. It's pressing in on us to value what it values. Treasure what it treasures. Worship what it worships. And we who belong to Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ refused the ultimate temptation, not bowing down to a golden statue, but he refused to bow down to the devil himself, who showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you will just worship me, I will give all these to you. But because he has succeeded and refused to worship false gods, he can forgive us of every time that we have. And because he has done that, those who trust in him are now filled with the Holy Spirit and now have the power, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to look at all the faults. Gods of this world like power and sex and money and all these things that the world is pressuring us pressuring us to find our identity in and pursue happiness in and by the power of the Holy Spirit we can say I'd rather die than worship you you see Daniel and his friends they believed God would would save them but you know what you remember what they said they said but even if he won't I won't worship these false gods, and you remember they were thrown into the fire. It was so hot it killed the men who were throwing them in it. And Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and he said, "Behold, three men were thrown in, but I see four, and the fourth is like a son of the gods." And when they came out, and when they came out, the Bible says, that their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. You see, church, in 2,000 years of church history, there have been a lot of Christians who have been burned to death for their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Their heavenly garments don't even smell like smoke. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.18 the last letter he ever wrote contemplating his uh, near death where he was beheaded for the sake of the gospel, wrote to Timothy and he said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and deliver me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What will we do, church, when, we are, when others attempt to force us to worship false gods? will we bow when the whole world is doing it what will we do the final story that we see God's faithfulness in is Daniel's story of the den of lions you remember this story Daniel had ascended into power in the royal court and there were the other wise men were envious jealous of his power of which he had gained in the royal court so they began to try to come up with a scheme in order to catch him in something so that they could accuse him and remove him from his position. This is what it says in Daniel 6.4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What does that mean? It means that the only thing that they could find against Daniel was that he loved his God too much. Would to God that people could say of Chad Henley, his only problem is that he loves Jesus Christ too much. Would to God that people could say of Cottondale Baptist Church, they have one problem, they take Jesus a little too seriously. Would would to God that people could search our lives and they could say, The only only thing we can catch him in is in his devotion to his God. And so they got the king to sign a law that no one should pray to him on pain of being thrown into the lion's den for 30 days. And what does Daniel do? Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he... He had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What will you do when it becomes illegal to worship your God? Let's not be so naive and think it could never happen. Why? Because it's happening right now. In other parts of the world. I read of uh, this church in China. They, they closed them down. All the property that they had, they either owned or legally rented. The government confiscated it all. They locked the doors. The next Sunday, the parishioners of the church showed up in front of the locked doors of the church to worship God. God. Till the police came and dispersed them. What will you do? Will you allow others? We allow so many other things to keep us from worshiping God. But here the government tells them they can't worship God. and, And Daniel said, windows wide open. You can't stop me from praying to my God. Daniel heard the law and he went, and what happened? God delivered him. God sent the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. And God delivered him. So we see, church, that God delivers the faithful. The faithful. So what does that mean? It means this be bold for Jesus, be courageous. For Jesus Christ. When we walk out these doors, you may feel pressure to, to be ashamed of Christ. You don't want other people to think poorly of you. You don't want them to think that you're this Jesus freak. Okay, that's kind of weird and awkward. Look, there are worse things that people can think about you. you, you we're, we're afraid of other people. Look, you have no need to be ashamed of Jesus. courageous. Be bold. God is for you. He's not against you. If you If we are faithful to him and take leaps of faith to him, faith for him of not bowing down to the false gods of this world, he will bend all of heaven and earth with his omnipotent power to be for you. We have no need to fear. God delivers the faithful. Number two, God humbles the proud. God humbles the proud. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, chapter 4, he had a dream. He had a dream of this great tree that grew up and its branches reached all the way up into heaven and spread out over the whole earth. And the whole earth came and lived and dwelled in this tree. But then in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar heard a voice calling down from heaven, proclaiming this, chop the tree down. And no one could interpret the dream until Daniel came. And Daniel interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon was the tree. And Nebuchadnezzar thought that he, by his own strength, had attained the kingdom, not realizing that it is God Almighty who lifts up and throws down kings. And because of his arrogance... God was going to punish him. God was going to humiliate him. God was going to take his mind away so that he acted like an ox if he did not repent. And we know that he did not. And so what happened? Well, what God told him would happen came to pass. And he was humiliated. And he acted like an ox for a a fairly lengthy amount of time until god gave him his right mind once again and when he returned to his right mind this is what nebuchadnezzar said daniel 4:34 at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his king and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar had the greatest kingdom of the world at this time. But he forgot that he was only the king because God wanted him to be. God had to remind him that he, God, is the king of kings. Rest assured, God will humble the proud. If you don't humble yourself, believe me, God will do it. Let me tell you something. It's better you do it yourself. Because you don't want God to do it for you. But if we continue in it, God will. He will humble the proud. You see, he had to learn an astounding lesson. He thought his kingdom was great. He thought he was great. But he knew nothing about God, whose kingdom is the whole world, the whole cosmos. The stars burn because their king commands them to. We... Nebuchadnezzar finally got it when he said, the, the, all the inhabitants of the earth are as nothing before him. God does as he pleases, and no one can question him. You see, there's a lot of people today who like to think that they can just question God and say, oh, why can, how can God do this? How can God do this? Let me tell you something, he's God. When you're God, you can do whatever you want. But until you become God, you better let him do whatever he wants to. He's God. I'm afraid that there are many people who think that God is just a slightly larger, slightly more powerful version of themselves. And as I've said before, I really do think many people, for whatever reason, probably the church's fault, but for for whatever reason, many people think that God is just like a wealthy but senile grandfather who is just there to, who 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 doesn't care how you live but is right there to bail you out when he need, when you need him to that's not god that's not god god is the king he does whatever he pleases he rules over all and it's precisely that god is so great that it's even more amazing still that he'll run to the humble That is, the great and almighty God is no esteemer of persons, but if we humble ourselves before him, he runs to us to fight for us. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The great king of the cosmos is for you in Jesus Christ. The Bible says... And if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you see, most of us rightly would be afraid of a fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, and I'm, they probably were afraid to a degree, to, to degree, but you know what? They were less afraid of a fiery furnace than they were afraid of God Almighty. Let me tell you something. They were smart. They were smart. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ said, Do not fear him who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. You see, our problem is that we we fear the wrong things. (laughs) We fear all the wrong things. We fear what other people are going to think about us. We fear what so-and-so is going to uh, uh, talk about us on social media. We, we fear what our boss is going to think about us, what our, our, these other people in the world are going to think about us. We fear man, we fear man, we fear man, and we totally forget to fear of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? We must humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Trust in Him. Follow Him. Be willing to trust and obey. And when we do, what happens is that God shows up. When we stop thinking in terms of human logic and start, and start thinking in terms of God, things change. God shows up. So what we see is God delivers the faithful, God humbles the proud and finally God rules over history. God rules over history. I wish I could spend some more time on this. Daniel is um, the latter half of Daniel is apocalyptic in nature and it's very incredible because he prophes- he sees visions in great detail of actually precisely what happened in the intertestamental period between 400 and BC to the time of Christ. In fact, it's so specific and it's so detailed that liberal scholars have said, well, it had to be written after the fact. Why? Because it was exactly right. <laughs> That's why. And of course, if you presuppose that that thing can't happen, then of course it had to be written after the fact. But if there's a God who can clearly show Daniel what was going to happen, because he was going to make it happen, then of course it's exactly right. Because God told him what was going to happen with extreme detail, all the way down from the Babylonians being conquered by the kingdom of Media Persia to them being conquered by the uh, kingdom of Greece under Alexander the Great and then his kingdom was broken up between his four generals and uh, two of them who warred together uh, over, the, over the promised land, one in um, Egypt in the south and Antioch of Syria in the north. So all, he, all of these things he proclaims in great detail. But what we see in this is that God rules over history. We'll just look at one example here and this this uh, this first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. You remember this dream. He had this dream of this giant statue. And in the statue, he had, a, the statue had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thigh of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And in this dream, if you remember, it says that And after he saw this great statue, there a stone came, which was cut by no human hand. And it struck the feet of the statue and utterly destroyed it. And then the stone grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar was very disturbed by this dream and wanted to know what would happen. And eventually Daniel comes and interprets the dream. And this is what Daniel says, Daniel 237. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom, inferior to you, shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like the iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Of course, there's debate on what precisely these means, but I do believe it means... That Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. The kingdom of Media Persia is the chest of silver. The kingdom of Greece is uh, the bronze. And then the kingdom of the Romans is the iron. Because the Romans were a very fierce kingdom, uh, conquering all in their path. And we know this that in the days of the Romans, in the days of the Romans, A child was born. A child who the angel proclaimed that he will sit on the throne of his father, David. A child who grew up to be a man and who was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice thundered from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he endured the temptation in the wilderness from the devil, refusing to bow down to him because he didn't need the devil to give them the kingdoms of the earth because God his Father was going to give it to him. And Jesus began preaching in Mark 1.15 and said this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And believe in the gospel. And what did Jesus do? He showed that the kingdom of God was indeed at hand. And you see, everyone missed it because the Jews were so focused on the earthly kingdom, they were so focused. On the Roman kingdom that was oppressing them. And they were so sure that their Savior, their Messiah, was going to be this reigning king who would cast off the yoke of Rome so that Israel would be the great nation of the earth. You see, but Jesus came and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he came proclaiming a kingdom that would conquer the greatest that would conquer the greatest kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of Rome, but the kingdom of the devil. Thereby he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, and he raised the dead. And in Matthew 12, 26, he says, If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Zalzabal... By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus Christ came to bring in the kingdom, the stone which would shatter every other kingdom, that would, what? It would grow. And become a mountain that would fill the whole earth. That's what Jesus taught, remember? It's not as they expected. The kingdom of God is like leaven, hidden in flour until the whole batch is leavened. The kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted. The seed is the blood of Jesus Christ, who died and was buried. And from and by his death, the kingdom, it grows. Don't you see, two thousand years of church history? There, you look at the news and you think you think things are all going bad. But look, let's not be so narrow. God is on the move. There are more Christians in the world that have ever existed. Billions on planet Earth today call on the name of the Lord. There are likely more Christians in China than there are citizens of the United States of America. Let's not be so small-minded to think that the stone of Christ's kingdom is not growing into the mountain that he promised it would. God's kingdom is growing, and guess what? We we are growing it. We are evidence. The fact that we stand here 2,000 years after a, a... A a single, obscure man in the Middle East died and rose from the dead. 2,000 years later, we stand thousands of miles away proclaiming that he's alive. Worshiping him as the risen son of God. Why? Because for 2,000 years, the rock of the kingdom has been growing into this mountain. Because people like you and like me, filled with the Holy Spirit, have walked out their gathering places for worship and told other people that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's coming again. And repent and believe the gospel. Because in him is the good news of forgiveness of sin. And if you turn from him, if you turn from your sin and turn to him... And believe in him by faith. You too will gain citizenship into the everlasting kingdom of God. So that when all the kingdoms of the earth pass away, America one day will not be no more. China one day will be no more. Russia will be no more. The North Korea will be no more. The kingdom of God will endure forever. And if you are a citizen of it, guess what? You'll be there too. Reigning with the king. Daniel saw this in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. Jesus Christ is the king. Do you know him? Do you know him? This isn't a myth. This isn't a child's story. This is reality. A man has lived. A man has died. A man has risen from the dead. And one day, as Daniel saw in his vision, the sky will split open. The son of man will descend with the angels cry and the dead in Christ will be raised and we will ascend to meet him in the air. And all who have loved and trusted in him as the great grace and forgiveness of God that he is for them and turned from their sins and embraced him and gave their whole life to live for this great and glorious king to know him and to make him known will be gathered together with him, will descend from the clouds with him and will reign over the earth forever. But the Bible says those who don't know him will weep and wail on account of him. Because he came first to deal with sin, but he will come back to judge his enemies. And I would to God that no one in the hearing of my voice would be found an enemy of God on the last day. He offers you free, unfettered rights to his kingdom this morning. Free grace. You can't earn it. He extends it freely. Not because of what you could do. But because of what he has done for us. If we will turn and believe in him. Jesus Christ. The son of God. Risen from the dead. Coming soon. And so that's the invitation this morning. Daniel has told us. Remember what he te- Remember what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. The vision is certain and the interpretation is sure. Trust Christ today. Turn from your sin. Believe in him. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today.